Amen. You may be seated. What a sweet prayer to pray before we open up the Word of God. Yes, Lord, please, indeed, speak through us, through this Word. Open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel, chapter 2. We began three weeks ago today a series through the book of Daniel, and we preached through whole books of the Bible here at Northwest Baptist Church, verse by verse. And we find ourselves today in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Let's ask the Lord's blessing and help before we go any further. Lord, as we've just sung a prayer, we pray now again to you to speak to us through this word. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I would be clear, that the Holy Spirit would use the word as promised to do the work in people, whether that be through sanctification or drawing people to Christ. Father, do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we saw that Daniel and his friends had a choice to make. They had been relocated from Judah, which was their country, to Babylon, and now were to be re-educated as Babylonians. They are Jews But they're going through a discipleship program there in Babylon under the order of King Nebuchadnezzar. They're not Babylonians. They are Jewish young men who love their God. The Babylonians had taken captive many of these Jews, and they were now beginning to do this brainwashing of them to clean them from any of their Jewish roots. Daniel and his friends, we saw last week, decided that they would not disobey God by eating the king's food or drinking his wine, which was most likely used in the worship of the Babylonian gods and, of course, would not be kosher and up to Jewish standards. As a result of their faithfulness and choice to serve God and God's sovereignty, God showed them favor, and we saw that they got fat by eating vegetables. So take that from what you will. God blessed them and made them, as a result, ten times better than all the other captives that were also going through this re-education program. And we said that the story was not about having a special diet or necessarily of Daniel's obedience, although we can learn much from it. But we said that the passage was about a sovereign God who is working out the details of his will through Daniel and his friends in Babylon to make himself known in the years to come. Well, let's go to chapter 2 in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is the king of Babylon, a wicked king. And, of course, in the middle of one night, he wakes up from a series of bad dreams. It says that he had dreams, plural, so bad that he couldn't go back to sleep. I think we've all been there. We've had some nightmares or some disturbing things that we have dreamed. And the reason that this is significant is because the Babylonians had a strong belief that their gods communicated to them through dreams and visions. And so Nebuchadnezzar was seeing this as a message from the gods, of course, that he worshipped. 
And apparently it was not a pleasant dream at all. Look at verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So he gets all of his people together to interpret his dream. He's got to know what this means. And he gets four different groups of people together. He says magicians. Now magicians were not pull out rabbit out of the hat magician that you would think of today or card trick magician. Magicians were those who were skilled in cuneiform, which is an ancient form of writing and also were known for interpreting dreams. But the English translation of the Hebrew word there is magician. Enchanters is the next group of people. These were people who were skilled in interpreting signs in people and who were specifically ill, and they performed rituals designed to influence how things turned out. These are the enchanters, or we may say something like fortune teller today. Sorcerer is the third group of people. This word is used for charms and incantations. People who are probably involved with demonic activity or witchcraft. Sorcerers. And then the last group, Chaldeans. Chaldeans were the sages of Babylon. They were the wise men, if you will. They, of course, the Chaldean can refer to the whole group as a whole, but there was a specific group of people named Chaldeans. They were the elite thinkers of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar is pulling out all the stops. Give me the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans. Let's get the professionals in here, the miracle workers, and I need to know what this dream meant. Look at verse 4. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. It sounds like a reasonable request, right? I mean, you want us to tell you what your dream meant. Okay, tell us your dream. The king answered in verse 5 and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be made to be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. He doesn't answer their question, does he? And there is some speculation here, and actually different theologians kind of differ on this, and it's not that important because either way, there's a problem. A... The king doesn't want them to know the dream because he doesn't want them just to tell him any old answer. They fear the king and they don't want to get in trouble. And so they may twist the interpretation to be something less explosive to protect themselves. Maybe the king is trying to find out who is really telling the truth here. Or other people have said, because he says at the end of verse Three, my spirit, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. 
And some people have speculated, does that mean that the king forgot what he dreamt? I mean, we all been there, right? Like, you wake up in the middle of the night from a dream, and you're like, whoa, that's crazy. Then the next day, you're like, oh yeah, what did I dream? And the next day, you can't remember exactly what you dreamed, but you know it was enough to wake you up and enough to maybe scare you. And so either way, whether Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know the dream because he forgot it, or he knows the dream and doesn't want them to be aware of it, either way, I think either interpretation will, will suit for the purpose of what the Lord wants us to know here today. And simply, the way he responds is, I'm not going to tell you, and if you don't tell me, I will kill you. He says, I will tear you from limb, from limb to limb, and I will make your houses to be laid in ruins. And the word ruins there is the same word in the Hebrew, or, and, and actually this was written in Aramaic, this section of Daniel chapter 2, is actually the same word for dung pile. Or manure. Really nice guy, this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, right? I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed, and if you don't tell me, I'm going to kill you, rip you from limb to limb, and make your houses a dung pile. But if you show me the dream and what it means, its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So, yeah. Verse 7 they answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants to dream and we will show you its interpretation. You could feel them getting nervous here because they are beginning to understand this is impossible. We can't tell you what the dream means if we don't know what the dream is. And the king answers in verse 8, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know you that you could show me its interpretation. Here is more evidence that the king doesn't trust these men. These are supposed to be the best men of the country, the elites, the intellectuals, the ones who work magic and have great skill in interpreting things, and he doesn't trust them because they have agreed to speak lies. They are in fear of their lives, of what the king has done to other people, and he knows that he will do this to them. They don't want to mess this up. They don't want to say something wrong, and it's game over. Essentially, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not telling you my dream. I said what I said. You will tell me what I dreamed. It just shows you how serious and disturbing this dream was for the king. He wanted to make sure he got the real answer, not just one that was going to make him happy. He says, look, I know you can make up whatever you want to appease my wrath. That's not going to happen this time. This is so important and so disturbing. He woke up and he was really, really bothered by what he dreamed. Verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great power, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asked is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. 
They reply back to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, that's impossible. We can't do that. There's not a king who has ever asked or requested anything so impossible of any of their servants. This is something that can only be done by the gods, not by us. We're just human. This is going to be something of divine origin of what you're asking us to do. And they're right. They're not mind readers. Even though some of them pretend to be fortune tellers, they're called out on their fakery and trickery, aren't they? Look at verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Because nobody can fulfill the requirements or the demands of the king. In the king's wrath, he condemns them all. They're all guilty. They all receive a death sentence. Even Daniel and his friends. They're not among these elites. Remember, they're still training in Babylon. And we see that this is the second year of the three of their training. They're still in the midst of that time. They didn't do anything wrong. They're just guilty by association. The guilt of the wise men has been passed on to them so that now they are as guilty as they are. Daniel and his friends have not failed the king, but because they bear the mark of a wise man or interpreter of dreams, they all are going to be destroyed. Torn limb from limb, And their house is made into a manure pile. What do they do? Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel goes to the guy who's supposed to kill him. And he says, what's the big deal? Like, why is this upsetting the king so much? It's a dream. Why is he putting such a high mark of impossibility for people to even obey him. And it's a miracle that this guy doesn't even kill Daniel for asking the question. Remember, Daniel's supposed to die anyway. He has a death sentence. And the guy who he's talking to is the one who's supposed to kill him. But he doesn't kill him, does he? And again, we see a little spillover from chapter 1. Daniel is not like the other people. Because in chapter 1, Daniel requested of Ashpenaz, the guard that was over them in their re-education program from the king, and he requested of them to change their diet. The guy didn't have to listen to Daniel. 
The guy didn't have to agree to Daniel's request. Matter of fact, it could have been seen as a, as a request of insubordination. The way Daniel even presented the alternate plan. But we know in chapter 1 what happens. It was God who had favor and compassion on Daniel. And he caused favor and compassion to be felt by Ashpenaz, who then agreed to change their diet. Again, what do we see in chapter 2? We see still the hand of a sovereign God. The same God who gave favor and compassion to Daniel in chapter 1 will be the same God who gives favor and compassion in chapter 2. We see the fingerprints of God all over this story. And Daniel has the boldness to go and ask. And of course, at this point, what does he have to lose? He's going to die if he doesn't say anything. And if he says something, he might die anyway. So what do you have to lose? But try it anyway. And so, remember that one of the things that Daniel was good at during his time of training and that God had blessed him with was what? All matter of skill and understanding and wisdom and interpreting what? Dreams and visions. Maybe Daniel is saying, maybe I can do something about this. The Lord is giving me the skill to interpret these dreams. Maybe I can do something. And before he even knows that he knows the answer or even what the whole deal is, he tells this guy, hey, can you book me an appointment with the king? Can you put me on his itinerary? Put me on his schedule. (laughs) It's kind of humorous when you think about it. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show up and give the interpretation to him. Daniel has no idea about any of this, but he knows the same God who was sovereign to help him in chapter 1 will be the same God who is sovereign to help him now. And if God wants him dead, then so be it, he's dead. But God has seen him through that diet, and God will see him through here. That's what Daniel knows Daniel is having faith that his God will supply what he needs. And what does he have to lose? He's dead either way. Look at verse 17. So apparently he gets the appointment. Arioch makes an appointment with the king. And then Daniel goes home. And he goes home to see his friends. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. His companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So he goes home. And he talks to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names by birth. Of course, their Babylonian names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that. He goes home and talks to them, the same guys who are doing the same diet he is. And he says, listen, we need to pray. We need the mercy of God. Notice he doesn't say we need the mercy of the king. What does he say? We need the mercy of God. 
of God. Daniel knows that his life is not in the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. His life is in the hands of his God. So that we will not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. You know, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, the enchanters, those guys. Pray that we are not destroyed. That's all he tells them. Go pray to God right now. And this is something we're going to see in the book of Daniel that Daniel has a habit of doing. When Daniel doesn't know what to do, what does he do? He prays. He seeks the face of God. Daniel knows his limitations. He knows his weaknesses. He knows that he can't do it. But he knows who can. He knows who he, his life is in the hands of God. And his faith runs into God's sovereignty. And, and when Daniel prays, God, in verse 19, gives him, while he's sleeping, a vision. And what is the vision? Exactly what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. The same God who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream, and you know it was God who did that, to make himself known to Nebuchadnezzar, gives Daniel the same dream, the same request. Of what, if you're going to tell me what it means, you've got to tell me what I dreamed first. And then I'll listen to you. Daniel, dependent upon God, fell on his face at the mercy of God. Oh, God, deliver us. Help us. Tell us what this dream means. And at this point, he doesn't even know that he's lacking even what the dream is. He's just seeking God's face, seeking God's help. How, how often do you do that? I mean, let's be honest. Probably most, if not all, of our natural inclination is to what? When a difficult situation arises, what do you and I do? We try to figure it out. We try to get to the bottom of it. We try to make all these plans. We try to take control. Why? Because we love to think we're in control. And the truth is, we're not. We're always at the mercy of God. No matter what situation you're facing, it's always outside of your control. God has decreed all things to be the way things are, and we are at his mercy to do that. But then Daniel gets the answer. And what's Daniel's response? He prays again. And what does he do? He blesses the God of heaven. He blesses the God of heaven. The word blessed there means to speak well of. It's to give praise. That's what it means to bless, the, bless God. In, this is, of course, Aramaic here, but in the Greek, in the New Testament, when you see the word blessed, blessed, or to bless the Lord, the word is the same root word of, that we get our word eulogy from. When you're at a funeral and someone gives a eulogy, what are they doing? They're speaking well of the person. It's what the word bless means. To bless someone is to speak well of them. What is Daniel doing here? He is speaking well of God. He's giving praise to God. Listen to how Daniel prays. You want to know how deep Daniel's faith is? Look at this. Because Daniel's faith is not just in 
surface knowledge of God. You see, this is a lot of our issues. You and I struggle to pray because, number one, we're lazy. Number two, we don't trust God. Because if we truly trusted God and were at God's mercy, we would find ourselves much more in prayer. But the reason, besides our laziness and our own sin, is that we just don't fully trust God. And if we did trust God, trusting God comes from knowing God. How can you trust a God that you do not know? And when you listen to Daniel's prayer here of how he blesses the Lord, you will see that Daniel knows his God very well. At the root of Daniel's prayer is doctrine. Daniel prays and doctrine in his heart just spills out. And how does Daniel speak well of God? He speaks truth about God's character and his nature and his attributes. He knows who God is, who his God is, and he manifests this in his prayer. Some of you, well, I don't know if I can pray like Daniel. Well, no one's asking you to pray like Daniel. We're asking you to trust the Lord with all your heart. Some of that comes, and all of that comes from knowing who he is. Now listen to what Daniel prays, and you'll know what I mean. And verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. What does Daniel know about God? His name is holy. And he is eternal. At the heart of Daniel's prayer, he's at the mercy of God, not Nebuchadnezzar, because he knows God lasts forever, not the king. To whom belongs wisdom? What does Daniel know about his God? That he's omniscient. What does the word omniscient mean? It means to be all-knowing. There's nothing that God doesn't know. He knows everything about everything. God doesn't have to learn anything. He doesn't have to try something out. He knows all there is to know. And might. He, Daniel knows that his God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. He is El Shaddai, as it's mentioned in the Hebrew he is El Shaddai. He is Almighty God. He's omnipotent. So he's holy, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent. And that's just the first sentence. There's a lot more doctrine to come. Look at verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He is sovereign over times and seasons. The sun rises in the sky For the earth rotates around the sun by the hand of God. He sets up kings and removes kings. Nebuchadnezzar is in power. Why? Because God put him there. And when Nebuchadnezzar's days are done, God will take down Nebuchadnezzar. Church, don't you ever think that a politician is elected in Washington by some luck or chance? As John Calvin has once famously said, sometimes when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. It is God who sets up kings and tears down kings. God who sets up politicians and tears down politicians. They're all at God's decree to accomplish his will, whether that is to judge the nation that they serve. Daniel knows That his God is over this is why he's at his mercy. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. 
Daniel knows that everything he has and he knows is due to the grace of God. Daniel doesn't earn it by himself. Daniel hasn't educated himself. Everything that Daniel has is a gift of God by his grace. In verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. Yeah, to know what the king's dream is without being told what the king's dream is. Only God can do that. See, the wise men were right about that. (laughs) This is not something any person can do. This is something that the gods must do. Daniel knows this too. He knows that it comes from his God. He knows what is in the darkness. What's in the darkness? The king's dream. Whether the king forgot it or he didn't want to say it. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, verse 23, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. God, you have answered our prayer. And God doesn't answer our prayers or Daniel's prayer according to our will. He answers our prayer according to his will. Even the Lord Jesus prayed like that. Not my will be done, but your will be done. He knows, Daniel knows, that this is the will of God for him to know the matter. And if it was God's will for Daniel to be slaughtered with the wise men, then Daniel is reserving himself to that fact. God, you're the one who brought us here. You're the one who raised him up. You're the one who have brought us into judgment with him. And if that's what it is, then that's okay. He went and said thus to him, oh, Verse 23, yeah, you have made known to us the king's matter. Look at verse 24. So after Daniel is done praying, therefore Daniel went into Arioch. This is the guy who's supposed to be killing him. Whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Remember, Daniel's prayer was, don't let us be destroyed with the wise men. Now Daniel's request changes. Daniel's request is, hey, don't we ask God to spare us, but now he's going to Arioch, this guy who's in charge of killing them, and saying, listen, don't kill anybody. I will go in and see the king, and I will tell him his dream and what his dream means. Daniel intercedes not just for his friends, but for also the other wise men that are there to appease the king's anger. And these men probably don't even know who Daniel is. He's not even among the four groups. He is, had to be sought out because he's still in training. Look at verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. Again, why does Arioch do this? I mean, if he wastes the king's time with a faulty interpretation, it's probably his head that's going to roll as well. But again, the sovereign God, which works in this way, then somehow Arioch has favor and compassion toward Daniel to even let this request be made known. And he goes into the king and he says, I have found among the exiles from Judah... A man who will make known to the king the interpretation. I found a guy and he says he knows what your dream is. The king declared to Daniel, verse 26, whose name was Belteshazzar. That was his Babylonian name. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? 
All right, are you ready? This is Daniel's moment to shine. This is Daniel's moment to be highly praised and elevated in Babylon and most importantly, save his life. Go ahead, Daniel, take the glory for yourself. Well, let's read. (laughs) Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for you, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Nebuchadnezzar says, are you the man who could tell me? And Daniel reminds him, no man can tell you, but there is a God in heaven who can. Instead of taking the glory for himself, like he has some, got some psychological power that he's like an astrologer or a sorcerer, one of these elite Chaldean thinkers, he says, I can't do this, Nebuchadnezzar, but my God can. It is my God who gave you that dream, and my God told me what you dreamed and what it meant. Daniel seeks the glory of God, but there is a God in heaven. Amen to that. Why do I know this? He says, it's not because I'm smart, but God wants you to know what is coming. And he tells them, here's what your dream means. It's about what comes after these days, in the latter days, in the days to come, after you are gone, and after Babylon is gone. And what happens to you, O king? No wonder Nebuchadnezzar was so bothered by it. It's about his future, and not just his future, but about the futures of future kingdoms as well. Now, we're going to save verses 31 to 45. Don't close your Bibles because we're not done. I got a lot more preaching to do. (laughs) We're going to save verses 31 to 45, which Daniel tells the king his dream and what it means for next Sunday. For now, I want to skip to verse 46 and see what happens when the king hears the answer and tell you the reason, the true reason behind all this story and what it means. And then we'll examine the dream next week, okay? If you can't wait to see what the dream means, then just read it when you go home. I'm never going to fault you for reading your Bible ahead, okay? He says in verse 46, after he tells him the dream, after he tells him everything, how does King Nebuchadnezzar respond? Look at verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God 
is God of gods and Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. This is why God gave the king the dream. Why? First of all, he's about to pronounce judgment on the king. He's about to pronounce judgment on Babylon. But most importantly, God wants to glorify himself through a wicked king. The same God who empowered and called Nebuchadnezzar to come get his people in Judah is now having to answer and be accountable to this God. And God is being glorified. And Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked ruler, a man who just destroyed the nation of Judah, is admitting to Daniel that your God is God of gods. Now, he doesn't know at this time that he's the only God. But at least he's getting there, right? He's God of, your God is better than my God's. And Lord of kings, he's over me. Because he has revealed these mysteries and has given it to you. And so what does he do? He takes Daniel. He respects him. He commands an offering and incense be given to him. A high praise and honor, just like he promised. If anyone could do it, he would do it. And he glorifies the God of Judah. The true God, the only God. Look at verse 48. It's not done for Daniel. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Do you see the fingerprints of a sovereign God here? Daniel goes from being a Hebrew captive in Judah, from Judah, going through Babylonian discipleship and re-education program, to being a ruler in Babylon. And not only a ruler in Babylon, but in charge of all the wise men. He's not even done with school yet. And he's over all the other jokers that are there. All the other people who couldn't do what the king requested. And... He saves their life. He not only saved the life of his friends, but he saved the life of all the wise men that were to be executed because they couldn't do what the king requested. So Daniel's a ruler, but he's not done there. Look at verse 49. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the fairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Not only does he make himself a ruler, but he then requests that his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian names are mentioned here because Daniel made the request to Babylon, that they would rule with him. That they would also be over the affairs of Babylon, that they would have some power as well. And Daniel served in Nebuchadnezzar's court. So now what do we do with this story? Well, Dan, you said we should trust God. God is sovereign. God is over all the affairs of these people. And he sets up Daniel. And Okay, we've already said that. And that's true. Oh, you should pray. Pray. Definitely pray. But 
There's more to the story than that. As Charles Spurgeon and many others have said, there are many stories in the Bible. They're all true. They're all historic. But all these stories are like roads. And all roads lead somewhere. They all road and lead to the cross of Christ. These stories in the Old Testament, of course, they're historic, they really happen, they're accurate, but the Holy Spirit has written them in in such a way to help us understand what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you're like, Dan, I don't know where you're going with this, because I don't see Jesus' name anywhere in here. Well, let me help you walk through the story again. Number one. This story is about a king who gives an impossible command. Let me tell you what I dreamed, or tell me what I dreamed, and then interpret the dream for me without any knowledge of it. In the same way, our God makes a command of the world. Our God makes a command of sinners. Be holy as I am holy. And friends, that's an impossible command. How can we be holy as God is holy? We are born sinners and we are like that naturally from birth. Naturally, this king's law could not be obeyed to interpret his dream. And therefore, because the king's law could not be obeyed, he unleashes his wrath upon those who cannot fulfill his request and therefore punishes them all and sentences them all to death. The king has the right to do what he wants. Well, our God has also declared, because we cannot fulfill his impossible command, that the soul that sins shall die, or the wages of sin is death. And all those who die in their sins, as we know, as the scriptures tell us, will be cast into hell and the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. The magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and wise men couldn't do what the king asked. And thereby, they just didn't condemn themselves to death, But they condemned everyone else who was associated with them to death. The other people, including Daniel and his friends, were guilty by association. In the same way that our father Adam, who disobeyed God, sinned and was cursed. And therefore, we have all died in him. We're all condemned in him and have inherited his original guilt and sin. And therefore, we also die because we are sinners, because we belong to Adam. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The wise men reply back to the king, this is an impossible request and something that's only possible from, from the gods in heaven. Only someone divine can do what you've asked, O king. In the same way, a man might say to God the same thing. I'm born a sinner. How can I satisfy your request? The only one who can be holy and without sin is you, O God. Which is why before time began, God the Father made an eternal covenant with God the Son and God the Spirit to not condemn all sinners to death, but that through his obedience, they also can live because he fulfills the king's request. Daniel rises in this, in this story as a willing servant, willing to put his life on the line, not just for himself, but also for the wise men. 
Daniel was sent to Babylon by God in the same fashion God the Father sent his son to this world. Not just to save um, himself or bring him glory, but to all who would come to faith and obedience in him. God has also given Daniel all that was needed to appease the wrath of the king. He gave him the meaning of the dream, and that's something only that could come from God. In the same way, Jesus was not just a willing servant, but he came in human form, in the form of God. He was sent by God the Father to do for people what his people could not do on their own, obey God's commands and satisfy his wrath. And therefore, Daniel stood in the people's place. He stood before the king and he satisfied the wrath of the king perfectly, thereby not only saving his own life and those of his friends, but also of the other wise men as well, who were guilty, and he was guilty by association with them. In the same way, Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God for sinners, directing the wrath of God on himself, absorbing it perfectly and completely, and therefore taking the wrath away from those who would believe and those whom the Father has chosen for himself from Adam's race. Daniel was elevated to a high position of power and authority in Babylon, which Jesus was also exalted and given a high position of power, as the choir sang this morning. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But not only has Jesus been highly exalted and given a name above every name, like Daniel has in Babylon, But Daniel then asked his friends to rule and reign with him. And so does Jesus. As Jesus takes those who are his, saved by his blood, to rule and reign with him as well. As Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Christ will rule forever and ever in the new heavens and new earth. He's ruling and reigning now from heaven. And all those who are his are given this command to go in his authority to preach the gospel. And we will rule and reign with him. And the Bible even says we shall judge angels. As Daniel elevated his friends to rule and reign with him, so does Christ call us, his friends, to reign with him. I think there's more than just one comparison to make this coincidental. What do you think? When we look at Daniel, we do not glorify Daniel as a willing and obedient servant, but we see him through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we need a greater Daniel. We need a greater Daniel to appease the king's wrath and to save us from our sin. We need a greater Daniel to to keep us from ourselves and to do what we cannot do. We need a greater Daniel to stand before the king and to please him perfectly so that when we stand before the king, we are no longer condemned, but we're set free. And we need a greater Daniel who is high and exalted and is given a name above all names so that his name every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And friends, we have that greater Daniel. That greater Daniel has come and his name is Jesus Christ. 
And he is king of kings and lord of lords. This is a Christ-centered approach to the Bible. This is how I preach. And you've heard me now for almost 10 years. And I hope you, when you read your Bibles, also approach it in the same way. With this Christ-centered approach. Seeing where all roads lead to him. This is why the scriptures were given. The Holy Spirit is inspired to speak of him. To draw us to him. And I pray that you would see the greater Daniel that you need in your life today. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that a greater Daniel has come. A Daniel who fulfills all of God's impossible commands. He has fulfilled it perfectly and completely. And now in his place, we stand righteous, declared righteous, even though we don't deserve it. The wise men didn't deserve to live. They should have died at the king's command. But Daniel saved them by his obedience, by his sacrifice of himself. Unlike Daniel, Daniel didn't die. And our Daniel, the greater Daniel, Jesus, had to die. He suffered more than Daniel. He did more things than Daniel ever could do. But God, thank you for this beautiful picture that we see in the book of Daniel to point us to the gospel, to point us to Jesus Christ, to point us that all roads lead to him. Oh God, thank you. May we glorify you through your word. May we glorify you through your gospel. May you save those who believe. May those who don't believe in this room today know that they, like the wise men, stand before an angry God who is pouring his wrath and vengeance on this world because of our sin. And his cup is just filling up. And one day that cup will be spilled. But Lord, I pray that they would see that they don't need to have God's wrath poured on them. That they could look to Christ who has stood in their place to absorb the king's wrath and satisfy him completely so they can be free and forgiven and go in peace. Father, work your will. Draw sinners to repentance. That Jesus Christ died for sinners and he rose again on the third day. It is this gospel that we preach until we die, until you return. And Lord, may you call people to yourself through it. And Father, encourage your people. May they be sanctified in the word to look at the scriptures from a Christ-centered perspective. To see that all roads lead to him. Help us to see these things through your spirit who teaches us all things. Encourage us greatly today. In Jesus' name, amen.